blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zdorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, J.J. Jerez, as always. Of course, with me is Arif Dean. Um, you know, I've been seeing a lot on Twitter how Game 7 is the best two words in sports. It's going to be exciting. I'm so excited that they got to Game 7, but when your team is involved in Game 7, it, it's it's not that great of a feeling. It's very stressful. It is, and we just went through this a year ago. Well, now 16, 17 months ago, whatever it was. Uh, but here we go. Let's get another kick at the can. Absolutely. And let's not met, forget to mention the Nuggets had a Game 7 two days ago. So, you know, the, the stress on Denver fans' hearts right now is just... The Nuggets had a Game 7 where they won by two in a defensive game after trailing 3-1. to one. How familiar does that sound? Yeah, absolutely. Let's see if we could get it done a second time. But I think we got to start with just looking at the game as a whole. And I want to start this podcast off with talking about Michael Hutchinson. I mean, he's played a good game. I wouldn't say he's anything amazing. But, um, you know, at, at first we were watching that game. He gave up kind of a soft goal. And right away we're at an oh no moment there at the end of the first because it felt like it was going to be a very low scoring affair it didn't seem like either side was really generating too much offense so when the abs go down early there one nothing on kind of a weak goal um you know i was in a little bit of panic how were you feeling at that moment i felt the same way i felt if that first period ended with the avalanche trailing they were going to be on their on their toes or on their heels and they were going to be struggling to try to tie the game and the nerves at the intermission were going to get to them but luckily our top scoring defensemen, our high-powered scoring defense led by Nikita Zadorov came through a minute 53 later with probably the ugliest, dirtiest playoff hockey goal you can ever have. And that's exactly what they needed. And it happened with 30 seconds left in the first. That goal, in my opinion, saved their season. It's like deja vu all over again, right? We saw Nikita Zadorov do that earlier in the season when the Avs Offense was struggling. He comes, gets a goal, kind of opens the floodgates, relieves some pressure off the guys, and and they just start playing better. So, yeah, that was a huge goal right before the first that's, period That's ended. the depth scoring. That's the depth scoring we've been talking about. It's our six-foot-five, whatever many hundred pounds defenseman that scores four goals a game. That's the guy we were relying on. Not your Burakovskis or your Comfers or No, no, no. It's Zadorov. That's the guy we all expected to put the avalanche back into the game. Yeah, we saw it with our own eyes, and then we heard it after the game from Nathan McKinnon. The, the first period just wasn't really strong from either team. I think it was yeah. huge that the Avalanche were able to tie it up right before the end of the first there, so that way they could start fresh. It's a brand new game, basically 0-0 heading into the second period. So luckily they were, they were able to tie it up there. You know, I didn't realize this until after the game and seeing the comments from the Stars' top players, who, by the way, their top line all played about 14 minutes yesterday. If, that'll that says a lot you know that's a story of its mm -hmm. own and rick bone is sort of losing his mind on the bench for the second straight game and you know basically 
bashing his top players after the game in the post-gamer, I didn't realize the fact that going into game six on the Avalanche side, we're all nervous about the fact that this team has Hutchinson in goal for the second time in a row and has is dealing with all these injuries, has not been consistent all series long. The Avalanche felt nervous, but on the Dallas side, they didn't feel like they were in the driver's seat either. To them, it was, we just gave up five goals in the first period against a team that's really, really strong offensively and is good defensively. And if they figure out their defensive game, we're screwed. And that's exactly what happened in game six. So going into game seven now, Colorado might feel more confident than Dallas is. Granted, you don't want to get overconfident. But Dallas does not feel good about this game seven coming up. They did not feel good about game six. And I thought game six going into it, they were in the driver's seat. Yeah, I was really thrown back by hearing all those comments. I'm sensing a lot of panic coming out of Dallas. I mean, they're pointing the finger directly at that top line of Ben, Radulov, and Sagan, which they should. They kept him to a minimum. I think Ben only played about 14 and a half minutes yesterday. I think a lot of that had to do with all the penalties that Dallas was drawing and, and you know, not playing very smart. But... I'm I'm just hearing way more panic than I was expecting out of the Dallas side. You know, that they're not getting the goals they want. They're pointing the fingers at their leaders, saying that they're not being leaders. You know, Jamie Benn's not exactly acting like a captain out there. He's kind of playing more of the goon role. So it's crazy to hear that that, that they just are almost giving up before the series is is over. And that's that's the thing. They don't sound like they're and it, it, their their post game comments. They really caught me by surprise because. When you're up 3-1 to one in a series where you're scoring a lot of goals and then the other team claws back and makes it 3-3, you still have to you know, understand the fact that you're playing against the Avalanche with Michael Hutchinson in net. You come out post-game and your mentality should be, we're going to put this one behind us just like we did Game 5 and we're going to win the next game. And they don't have that mentality right now. They feel like they're distraught. They're stunned. They don't really know what the heck's going on. They have no answer for McKinnon. They have no answer for the Avalanche's defense. They have no answer for Michael frickin' Hutchinson. And they're stuck. They don't know what to do. And considering the fact, this is a big one because we've seen it with Toronto versus Boston. We've seen it back in the day with San Jose versus Los Angeles when LA was winning all those cups. We've seen it with Vancouver against Chicago back in 2009, 2008, and 2010. The reality is Dallas last year had a 3-2 to series lead in the second round on the St. Louis Blues. They blew it in Game 6, they got to double overtime in Game 7, and they lost. So now, just like Toronto against Boston a few years in a row, Dallas is suddenly thinking, holy shit, it's happening again. And they, 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 they can't handle that feeling. And if you're the Avalanche, you need to capitalize on that. You need to do what Bednar said yesterday before Game 6 and continue to be angry and continue to be pissed that you're even playing a Game 7 because judging by these last two games and the fact that the Avalanche blew a couple chances to win, this series should have been over in 5 or 6 max with the Avalanche winning. So here we are. Dallas is distraught, but the Avalanche cannot take their foot off the pedal. Do not settle. Do not feel like you have this in the bag because you don't. It's easy to point the finger at Dallas's top offensive guys that aren't producing and say, hey, what's wrong with you guys? But I think a lot of credit goes to the avalanche of de defensive structure. I mean, the last two days, games, ever since Michael Hutchinson has been in net, the defensive structure has been so tight and just so responsible. And you just got to give them a lot of credit. You, you touched on it there, just how great the defense has been. But, um, you know, they haven't had the stars haven't had to beat Michael Hutchinson. They've had to beat the Avs defense and the Avs defense has been sealed shut. And 
it's it's you know when Nathan McKinnon made this comment, it kind of reminded me like, oh yeah, that is a thing. But during the regular season, the Avalanche were a top five defensive team, and he says not many people remember that because they were they were not surrendering a lot of goals. Granted, they had Grubauer in net and Francouz in net, and they were putting up nine twenties and nine thirty save percentages. Not Michael Hutchinson with a nine thirty eight in two starts. That's not what you were expecting to be the goalie at this time of the year. But at the same time. The Avalanche are a great defensive team. They were the only team in the league that was top five in offense and defense. Don't quote me on that. I haven't looked at it, but I'm pretty sure I remember seeing that in March. So this isn't completely out of the ordinary and this isn't completely random. But at the same time, it took them a little bit of time to get to that point against Dallas. You know, obviously against Arizona, they were strong defensively and they were strong offensively and Arizona was just not a good team. But this Dallas series took them a little bit of time. But now that they're there, it's going to take a lot for them to just have a basically lay in goose egg in game seven and get completely torn apart like they did in game four or in game one or in game two, et cetera. Uh, a lot of that credit goes to uh, the two top guys on that defensive group. We forget that with Ryan Graves and Kale McCarr, they're handing a lot of responsibility. They're getting a ton of minutes. Yep. They weren't even on this yes. team last year. You know, we give a lot of yeah. credit for how the forward group has come in and, and made a big impact. Well, those two guys, I think, are some very, I wouldn't say unsung heroes, but they are just carrying a lot of that defensive weight, and the defense has been the main reason why this team is winning. So you know how Dallas has basically won all of the series by blocking a lot of shots and getting in the lanes? Well, they led the Avalanche in block shots yesterday, 26-18, to 18, but that's because the Avalanche led in terms of uh, shot attempts. But from the Avalanche's 18 blocks, they had eight players with one block each. The other 10 came from Graves and Makar. Graves had six blocks in 22:35, and Makar had four blocks in 24:51. They themselves had a combined 10 out of the 18 sh uh, blocked shots that the Avalanche had. On top of that, Kale Makar scored the game-winning goal. On top of that, Ryan Graves and Kale Makar played a combined or played each a minute and a second of shorthanded time on that one penalty kill. So here's Kel McCarr suddenly killing penalties now. They, they, they've they been the rock for this team. You also have Sam Gerrard, who's played a lot of minutes, but Sam Gerrard's playing a lot of offensive minutes, but Graves and McCarr together are really holding the fort down, especially with Johnson out and with, Kat, uh, with Cole and with Zadorov not getting as much ice time. Yeah, and I think you've seen a little bit extra aggression out of Makar offensively. I think you see him try to carry that puck into the zone and attack the net when he, once he gets in. So, um, you know, I'd like to see that adjustment. But that's kind of what I want to get into next is the adjustments. I mean, game a seven-game series is a long way, and you're a fool if you think that both teams have the exact same strategy going into Game 7 as they did into Game 1. And that's what I love about a seven-game series, right? Each game is different in the way each team prepares. What works in Game 1 isn't necessarily going to work in Game 2 and Game 3, etc. So what I really noticed uh, a big change in last night was that the Stars' forecheck has just been a lot less effective than it was earlier in the season. I think the Avs have figured out, and again, that's pointing back to the defensive group and, and how responsible they've been, but they figured out a better way of getting that puck out of the defensive zone quicker faster and and it's just been you know uh, again a great adjustment in this chess match that is going on between the coaches and that's what they were struggling with earlier on in the series it was how do we efficiently and quickly get the puck from our zone to the other zone and with guys like Makar and Gerard you should be doing a good job at that uh, but it suddenly they fell into this trap where Ian Cole was turning the puck over and Zadorov was turning it over and Johnson and then Kanaan and it's like 
give the puck to the guys that are going to move it out of the zone. That's what Connor Timmons did in his short stint. Hopefully he can play game seven. We'll get into that. But that's what Connor Timmons did in his short stint. He was able to bring the puck out of the zone. And that's what I was talking about a few episodes ago when I said, if if you're going to replace Johnson with someone, replace it with somebody who can move the puck out of the zone because that was the struggles that the Avalanche were having. They were turning the puck over on their side of the red line and Dallas was taking advantage of those turnovers and Pavel Francouz wasn't playing good in net. Suddenly you have a goalie that looks calm. He's not playing amazing, but he looks calm. He's a big guy in net. He's He kind of reminds me of John Sebastian Jaguer, where he's not the most athletic, but he's getting the job done. And that's all you need from a goalie when your defense is playing the way they are now, where they're doing a great job of getting the puck out of the zone. And it's led by Makar and it's led by Gerard, who have a lot of confidence and a lot of skill with the puck and are able to skate it into the zone. I agree with that assessment. He's looked so freaking calm. It reminds me of Jonathan Bernier. Jonathan Bernier had a very yes. similar style. He just yeah. really relaxed back there and just let his instincts take take over. And, you know, when you're calm, you start to feel a little bit more confident. I mean, you're seeing Michael Hutchinson really attack um, the puck on a lot of plays, be extra aggressive, and you got to be confident. You got to believe in yourself. And so that's just him relaxing his mind, telling his body, hey, believe in your instincts and you know so far it's been great again he hasn't had to be amazing but he's made those saves that he needs to and the defense in front of him is helping him you know make sure those rebounds don't get coughed up and he's done a great job of smothering rebounds as well and that's the thing that we're losing sight of is he's played two games and another 10 minutes in a third game and he's only faced 65 shots it's not a lot considering where the series has gone. And obviously, 17 of those shots came in the third period of a game where the Avalanche led 6-2. to two, So it's going to happen. You're going to take your foot off the pedal. You're going to play defensively, and you're going to face a lot of shots. But those shots weren't even dangerous for the most part. He's made 61 stops on those 65 shots. Uh, Pavel Francouz, for every 65 shots, he was making about three or four less saves because the chances were more dangerous. The Avalanche were not playing a good game in front of him. So it's hard to blame Pavel completely for those losses. But at the same time, what I like about Hutchinson is his calming demeanor in terms of making the big save and rebounding from a bad goal. That's an issue that Francouz could not get over. When Francouz let in a bad goal, he could not rebound. And yesterday, Hutchinson let in a pretty damn bad goal, and it came in the same game where he stopped Radic Faxa in the crease with just an outstanding pad save. And he had some great saves in the second period, but he was calm. He stayed calm the entire game. Even with the Avalanche pushing in the offensive zone for most of the game, he was still calm back there that when Dallas was able to get their few chances, he held the fort down, he made the saves. And to be honest with you, he deserved a shutout if it wasn't for that clunker of a goal he let in. Yeah, you got to have that short memory, though. You know, sometimes you're going to let in a bad goal. And if it's in the first period, especially, you got to make sure to wipe that clean from your memory and just believe in yourself. I mean, you're an NHL goalie somewhat. Um, You've gotten there for a reason, right? You you know what you're doing. Uh, You just got to believe in yourself and, and, and wipe it clean. And I think that's exactly what he did. But that being said, are you confident in this guy's ability to carry the team the rest of the way if and when they do get through game seven? I'm feeling good about game seven. I'm feeling good about Game 7, too, and I hope the Avalanche don't come out and lay a goose egg like I was saying. Um, I can't say what's going to happen, anything more than that. I can't say if Grubauer is going to come back. I can't say if they're going to turn back to Francois. I can't say if Hutchinson's going to start with a short, lease, a short leash, and that option is probably going to be the most feasible one where Hutchinson plays. And if he gets let up by Vegas or Vancouver, because that series is not over yet, Vancouver could very well force a Game 7, too. Um, 
But if it gets to the point where Hutchinson starts the series, he's going to have a short leash, and that's okay. But who's going to come in for him? Is it going to be Francis? Is Grubauer going to be back anytime soon? I doubt it. His injury looks to be a lot longer than a two-week injury. But I don't mind as much about who plays in goal as long as they're making the saves when they need to make it because if the Avalanche can play this defensive game that they've been playing, that they played all regular season long, and they did good against uh, against Vegas playing that type of game, assuming Vegas is their opponent, then it doesn't really matter who you have in net. You just need the goalie to make one or two big saves a game and let your offense do the rest. And if you're going to let in a bad goal a game like Hutchinson did last game, you're probably not always going to win. But that's when you can turn to Francis and say, look, we're playing better in front of you. If you have the confidence to do this, we'll have the confidence to play in front of you. Right. Playing goalie is a six-man job. It's not just the goalie. So if they can continue to play the defense that they've been playing, then I'm feeling okay with having Michael Hutchinson in there. The problem is... Will this type of structure and this type of game plan work against whoever the next opponent is? Again, it goes back to the the fun of the chess match and the game planning and the execution of those game plans. Um, So it'll just be uh, interesting to to watch how that evolves and unfolds. But um, if they're playing that defense that they've been doing, I'm feeling good with whoever is in that. Exactly. And that was kind of my way of dodging your question. Am I comfortable with Hutchinson going up, going the rest of the way? Uh, I can't say because what I am going to be comfortable with is if the Avalanche play a complete game, a complete 60-minute game where they're not turning the puck over. The way they were playing Dallas the first four games of this series, they may as well lose the series because you're not going to go far playing that style of game. And they almost did. They barely clawed back and won that game three that they nearly blew in the third period. So you may as well lose the series because like I said last podcast, the Avalanche are not looking for moral victories. They're not looking to say we made it to the third round and we did better than last year. That was a 2019 mentality. Their 2020 mentality is we would like to win this all. So if you're not going to play a strong enough game where you're just going to make the third round and get swept by Vegas, don't bother. But they're playing that game now. They're playing the strong game that they can play now, whether it's Hutchinson, Francis, whether it's, I don't want to say Miska, that would be terrible, or Grubauer, then you're going to be okay if you're playing the way that they have been the past two games, especially game six, where they completely locked it down. Right. There are two unknown variables that are going to make or break this game seven. And that is, can Michael Hutchinson keep it up? Or is he going to suddenly, you know, break down and give up a bunch of goals? And can the uh, Dallas top line start to produce? So those are two things to just keep an eye on. And both of those factors that we still don't know what's going to happen, I think, is what makes this game a toss-up. Each each variable can go either way. You know, Michael Hutchinson can either come out, have a stellar night, or come out and completely, you know, mess up the sheets. Um, same thing with the, the Stars' top line. So that, I think that's just the, the biggest thing to keep an eye on and the biggest difference that's going to make this game seven. And both of those variables are going to be relied upon how strong the Avalanche play defensively. That's your constant variable right there for both of those variables. Because if the Avalanche's defense keeps the stars to the outside, keeps their their grade A and their high danger opportunities to a minimum, Hutchinson will be fine. And if the Avalanche keeps the stars players at checks and keeps the stars high danger opportunities to a minimum, then that's going to include the stars as top players in their top line. So both of those variables, the constant is Colorado's defense not the six-man unit the six-man blue liners but it's the five-man unit on the ice it's a defensive structure that the team plays it's relying on the forwards to come back and back check and to forecheck when they need to and 
they did a great job at that because that's exactly how McKinnon set up Rantanen. His forechecking, he stole the puck, brought it back into the zone, set up Rantanen for the dirtiest goal I've seen all playoffs. It's a five-man unit on the ice that has to buy into the defensive structure. And like McKinnon said yesterday post-game, Bednar, or he called him Bedsy, Bedsy has been preaching it all season long, and we're buying in. Both of those variables are dependent on the Avalanche's defense, and I feel very strongly that the Avalanche's defense can do this for the third game in a row. Right, that's a great point. Defense isn't just on the defensive unit. It's on all the players, and uh, that's something Jared Bednar preaches very heavily. I mean, that's his M.O., right? You got to play responsible on both ends of the ice. It's a 100-foot game. We hear him say that all the time. 200 feet, not 100. Um, But getting into uh, something else I wanted to uh, touch on real quick is uh, something that they've been doing poorly. Um, I think it's been very much positive so far for the Avalanche, but I think their zone entry has still just not been what I want it to be. Wait, so you're talking about something poorly and we're not going on the power play? All right, let's hear it. Oh, not let's yet, go. not yet. The power play, it's, okay. it's, it's here. It's on the docket. Don't worry, Arif, we'll get there. But the zone entry is driving me nuts just because I think earlier in the season we saw, or earlier in the series, we saw guys just cross that blue line and try to get to the middle of the ice. I pointed that out um, in the last episode. Now I think they've adjusted. They've switched up their game plan, realizing that's not working, and they're relying more on the dump and chase. And while the dump and chase is effective and, you know, has a lot of merits to it when the guys are going hard on the forecheck like we've seen Bellamare do, like we've seen, you know, a handful of the abs do because that's that's part of their MO as well. Um I I just it, it it's a tough system, I think. And it generates a lot less threatening chances and a lot less offense. While I it obviously worked there in that game. I think I would like, you know, for them to figure out that zone entry a little bit better than just simply doing the dump and chase every time down the ice. The way that I see it, this is something that we talked about in these earlier podcast episodes during the past couple of weeks during this series against Dallas, which obviously the series has gone a little bit longer than expected because of the break uh when, when the players obviously boycotted those two days. So yesterday should have been the scheduled game seven, but now suddenly it's Friday. And that's cool. The Avalanche are forcing a game seven. But we, we talked a lot after the fact that we completely, you know, we turned a blind eye to the fact that this is just not, we underestimated the fact that this is not a good matchup for the Avalanche. Defensively and physically, this series has been a lot harder on the Avalanche than we thought it would be or than hell even they thought it would be so in terms of the zone entries in terms of fixing it up and changing it up the only thing i could say to that is whatever works do it in game seven and focus on the next series after that you don't want to make too many changes you don't want to try to do something different if it ain't broke don't fix it and the play the way they played in game six after the way they played in game five right now it ain't broke don't try to fix it now don't try to change things win this game seven, and then focus on the next matchup after that. Granted, it's going to be a quick turnover. You might play game one Sunday if you win Friday. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Get through Dallas, and then we'll worry about it after that. I'm with you. I I like that 100%, and that's kind of what I was getting at. You know, it worked, so keep it going, but it, it... I, don't, I just don't think it's effective moving forward, but we'll see. And you it's, know? it's, That's it's why the I'm same thing. It's just, yeah, and it's the same thing with everything in this with, in this series and you know on this team right now, and that includes Michael Hutchinson and Net. Is Hutchinson going to be the one to raise a cup? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. 
But right now in this series, in this game seven, you're not going to make a change now. Let him get through the series and we'll worry about the rest after that. So it's the same idea. You know, the Avalanche are a good team. Uh, I don't expect them to just win game seven, you know, assuming they win game seven and they just get blown out in the next round. They're going to make the adjustments. Jared Bednar is the coach. He gets paid good money to do exactly what you and I are discussing right now. And they have a good team. The Avalanche are very skilled. So I'm not too concerned about changing anything in terms of the way they're entering the zone, you know, getting rid of this, the dump and chase, the, you know, infamous dump and chase that the NHL has had for the last 20 years and reminds me of the dead puck era. Right now, just focus on game seven, win that game, and then worry about the rest after that. I really loved the energy level that we've seen from Colorado the last two games, but in terms of uh, performance-wise, and I think I heard Jared Bednar agree with me last night. I think there's still another left, another level left in this team. We've yet to see them really play the avalanche style that we've been seeing for the last two seasons. And it's it's just, uh, you know, a little bit frustrating to see that, that, that they're, they're struggling, that they're starting the first period a little bit slow, that they're, they're not waking up, that they are struggling on the power play. So let's get into the power play a little bit. I'm frustrated with it. It's so good. You know, I pumped the tires this whole restart about how fun it is to watch. But now I think that part has gotten to their head. They know how good they are at doing that little keep away game that now all they want to do is just pass around until they get a backdoor tap in. So, you know, the power play has got to get a little bit more aggressive, in my opinion. Is there anything else you're seeing with the power play um, that needs to be adjusted or or just fixed um, to maybe make it a little bit more effective? There's an interview on YouTube of a 12 year old Nathan McKinnon talking about being a pass first guy. And he is now 25, and he needs to forget about being a pass-first guy. Shoot the damn puck. There was two or three opportunities yesterday. He played an excellent game, but there were two or three opportunities on the power play where McKinnon has an open chance and passes the puck. Don't make it cute. Shoot the puck. Get it on goal. We've been talking about it all year. When McKinnon has the puck at the blue line, he snaps a wrister, and it finds the net. It finds the net, and it beats the goaltender. You're good at getting the puck on goal. Shoot it. Shoot the puck. Stop passing. The Avalanche power play is getting way too cute. They're going to the bumper a little more than they should where they go to the point. Uh, they go from the point to the circle, whether it's Rantanen or McKinnon. And instead of those two guys shooting and having Kadri go in and bang in a rebound, they're doing the bumper play where they pass it to Kadri in between the hash marks. It's a beautiful play. It works sometimes, but they're doing it way too often. Shoot the puck. Find the rebounds. Someone like Kadri is going to fight his way to the rebound anyway. And you got bigger guys like Landeskog and Comfer. Shoot the puck. That's all they need to do. Yeah, another thing that they're doing too cute on that power play, and I'm pointing the finger directly at Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr here because they are doing this constantly, is, okay, picture this in your head, and I know you'll be able to imagine it right as I explain it. Kale McCarr has the puck on the top, right? He passes it over to Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon is in his stance to take that one-timer. Instead, he fakes the one-timer, catches the pass, goes back, moves it back. I've seen so many fake one-timers out of K.O. McCarr and Nathan McKinnon that it's not faking anybody anymore. And I'm sure Dallas is right on that same page too. He's Both of those guys are trying to do that fake shot right when they get the puck, but neither of them are shooting. Every once in a while, you got to shoot for that fake to work, right? So you know how I was talking about Dallas is having a little bit of nerves because they just went through this last year and Toronto always has nerves against Boston because they just went through it last year and they keep blowing these game sevens. Well, the Avalanche have a little bit of nerves whenever they have an opportunity like that and there's players in the lanes because Dallas is blocking so many shots. They're trying to find a way to get away from the Dallas players. The reality is, yes, Dallas is blocking a lot of shots, but it's making the Avalanche think a little bit more than they should about getting that puck on goal because 
when McKinnon fakes that one timer, it's, oh, there's a guy in front of me. He's going to block this shot. You can't think like that. You can't let the way the other team is playing change the way that you play because as soon as you start to play into their hands, you're no longer playing your game. So that's what I feel like is happening. Again, if you need 10 minutes of power play time just to keep the Dallas's top guys off the ice, so be it. Don't let in a shorthanded goal. Don't score a goal. I don't care. Just win the game by all means necessary. I don't know if I've ever seen a series where I've commented so much on the thinking part of the game, the mental side of it all, right? How many times have we touched on it this series in, in one aspect or another? Now we're getting back after it. This, this is just a very cerebral series, and there's more to it than just simply going out there, skating fast, and shooting the puck, right? I mean, there's so much strategy. There's so much thought that it, it's easy for us to sit back here and say, oh, come on, shoot that puck already. Quit doing all those fakes. But uh, it's, it's, there's a lot more intricacies that go into it. So, um, you know, while I'm criticizing here, I also think they know what they're doing, and, you know, they know way better than I do. That's the beauty of seven-game series, and I can use one of many examples to talk about all the – all the mind games and all the changes that come within a series, whether it's last year versus San Jose, whether it's that 2014 series against Minnesota, which the Avalanche were lucky to even get it to seven games, even though they were always in the driver's seat. Whether my favorite example, 2001 second round against the Los Angeles Kings, where the Avalanche were up three to one and then the Kings forced a game seven and the Avs won one nothing off of Peter Forsberg's goal. Every single one of those series, it's a game by game basis in terms of changing what you're doing, trying to adjust and and play a better game based off of what happened last game. And, you know, there's a lot of mind games. There's a lot of thinking. There's a lot of coaching. And the series is no different because you saw a series that started with Dallas scoring a lot of goals in bunches and the Avalanche not scoring at all. Suddenly, the Avalanche put up six goals in two periods in game three. Suddenly, Dallas came back out in game four and said, no, 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 no we're the team that scores, not you, and scored three early goals. Suddenly you have all these goalie injuries. You have Hutchinson coming in, and now, randomly, you have a team playing great defensively, which hasn't happened all series. Yesterday was the first game where the winning team didn't reach five goals. Yesterday was the first series where the winning team didn't let in more than one goal. The Avalanche shifted their game. There's been a lot of coaching and a lot of adjustments, and a lot of it has to do with the mind games. And this series, like you said, it's, it's a great example of that because of how much has changed and how much has gone into this. Like we were talking about the stars as top guys completely obliterating the Avs. Now we're talking about Jamie Ben playing 1431, Tyler Sagan playing 1509 and doing absolutely nothing offensively. I made the mistake of uh, taking our advice from the last podcast and I put a lot of money on the over last night, which was six Yikes. goals. So I missed it. But you know, I'll make that back because DraftKings makes it really easy to make your money. If you haven't downloaded DraftKings Ooh, yet, well, look at that. You are messing up. You need to get DraftKings. I know everybody's heard we did it on our last podcast, but by now it's everywhere. It's on TV, it's on the radio. That new promotion they have for that odds boost in the Kansas City Chiefs season opener, a hundred and one point spread. So even if they lose by a hundred and two points, no, by a hundred points, you still win. If they lose by 102, that's when you lose, but that's not going to happen. So if you haven't gotten that yet, if you haven't popped in on that uh, little odds boost, you know, you're messing up. It's a no-brainer. So throw in some money. It's a limit of 50 bucks, but you have until the game starts. They're just giving away free $55, basically. So go ahead, sign up, type in MHS, and uh, you know, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. 
Use promo code MHS. Take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer. That's promo code MHS to get in on all the action for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And you must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And you know, I hate that I always repeat that same phrase every single time we record these uh, these podcasts or we do these ad reads, Colorado only, because I grew up my entire life following this hockey team in Detroit, in Toronto, and all the places that I grew up. And every single time I'd hear an advertisement or I'd see the Avalanche post, we're giving away two free tickets to a local Avalanche uh, resident in Colorado. I always sit there and be like, what about us outside of Colorado, man? Like, I, I love this team too. And I'm sorry for all you guys, but I'm sure whatever city you're in has a podcast that has DraftKings sponsoring them because they are everywhere now and you can get in on the action too. Um, just by two cents. Love you guys, whether you're in Colorado or not. Yeah, they've got awesome odds boosts for individual cities. Like, for example, earlier this week, only for Colorado, you could take the Nuggets in a bet and then they give you a free bet one dollar for every point that Jamal Murray scored. I mean, that's awesome, oh. and it, it's great to, to get in there. And, you picked you know, the right series. You yeah. picked the right series for that. Yeah, you get to cheer on your own team while making some money. I mean, it's genius that they make those individual bets uh, for individual cities. I love DraftKings. If you haven't downloaded it, you're, you're, you're blowing it. Moving on, I think it's time to get into that Landeskog injury a little bit. How worried are you? He did come back and play. I think it was only one shift, though, um, yep. after – but again, we saw another injured player come back to the bench. Seemed more like for moral support than anything else. Yeah, he played the one shift. It was 16 seconds long. He looked fine on the shift. He was going full full strength and full power. One of two things happened. He either finished that shift and said, I can't do this. Or he finished that shift and said, you know what? We're winning this game anyway. It's 3-1. to one. The, the rest of the players are locking it down. Let me take a chill pill and get ready for game seven. I'm hoping it's the latter. It very well could be the former. We'll find out. Not today, not in an hour when we talk to Jared Bednar, not tomorrow morning when we talk to Jared Bednar because he made it very clear he will not say anything about injuries, lineups, goaltending until the puck drops game seven. We will see it ourselves. I'm expecting Landis Gok to play. I don't think the cut was that deep. It was more of a slice than it was a cut. It's like when you're walking by a, a table and the corner of the table is sticking out and you walk by it and it just like grazes the side of your leg and it slices it and you bleed a little bit granted it's a lot more severe with an ice skate going that fast but it didn't feel like the kind of cut where it's going to lead to something more severe like eric carlson back in the day with matt cook or you know with any of these other examples we've seen i think eric johnson has been cut in the leg too in the past i don't feel it was that severe i think it's probably causing him a lot of pain but Pain is beauty, baby. It's playoff hockey. You find a way to work through it. If it's nothing but pain, Landis Cog will be on the ice, and he'll be the first to tell you that. Yeah, I was going to say all of that. Um, I think he's definitely going to play. He's a warrior, and I think he would, his leg would have to be almost falling off for him to miss that game. Um, but yeah, it's like cutting yourself on a table if that table has been sharpened 45 times in the last <laughs> And, you know, I feel confident about him playing because even during the third period when Kenny Albert, the NBCSN commentator, came out and said, Connor Timmons, who we'll talk about shortly, is unfit to play. He did not give an update on Landeskog, and he said, we're still waiting on an update for Landeskog. And in my head, I was like, this son of a gun is going to show up right through the tunnel and sit on the damn bench again, and he's going to take the ice, isn't he? And lo and behold, he did with 10 minutes left in the third. So the Avalanche did not give an update on Landeskog because they knew 
this guy needed to come back. He was just in the locker room, probably squeezing a stress ball like, oh my God, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts. Get through it, get through it, get through it. Seems like he did. Again, he only played one shift, which could be troubling, but we'll find out Friday. It's a freak accident, um, but I feel like you're seeing skates and the blades of skates injure players a lot more frequently than normal, um, especially in the last, I would say, couple seasons. So I think there needs to be a little bit of emotion to, to make the gear a little bit more protective. You know, they have the yeah. under socks. Um, for you. They wear the Kevlar socks. Yeah. They need to wear that Kevlar sleeve all the way up. You know, those tights that we wear under our gym clothes that hockey players wear. They shouldn't be wearing the same $30, $40 Adidas tights that I buy at Dick Sporting Goods and wear to the gym. They should be wearing something that costs a little bit more, that's more protective with Kevlar material and, you know, saves you from things like that at the ankle, at the at the thigh, right above the knee where there's little padding from your shin guards and your shin pads and, and your knee pads. And I think that's where the NHL is going to go because this game is getting faster and faster and... Um, these accidents are just going to happen more and more. So it's something that they need to really look into, and I hope it doesn't take a more severe injury for them to do it. Uh, granted, side note, we we got to get on this guy's case. 21-year-old Kale McCarr, I don't know who the hell he thinks he is. One game, he coughs up the puck and lets in a goal. The next game, he injures his captain. This dude needs to get it together. Man. <laughs> Figure it out, Kale McCarr, you young Santa Claus. Um, but yeah, the, the you know it sucks from an avalanche standpoint, especially if he were to miss a game to lose your star like that. But from an NHL standpoint, you know we always talk about how the NHL struggles to really uh, you know take care of its stars, promote them, market them, and when they're going down to stupid injuries like this, or we saw Matt Barzell take a stick to the eye, you know these are injuries that are very preventable. And you know while the players might be stubborn about different equipment changes here and there, it's for the better of the players and it's for the better of the league you don't want all these stars missing games in the playoffs and suddenly you know nobody who isn't a hockey fan knows who's playing in a game right you want your stars on the ice and you can't have them have freak injuries like this yeah i agree with that and you know Landis Gog being out will suck if he has to miss the next game, but I'm going to give you the quote Nathan McKinnon gave in the presser yesterday where he cut off the media member that was even asking the question about injuries, and he said, oh, we've been dealing with injuries all year. We're good. We're good. Don't even try to— Yeah, he even, he even laughed it off. He laughed it off. He, he said, like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was basically, yeah, don't make a narrative out of this. We're not looking for an excuse. We're good. We're good. I'm good. I'm Nathan McKinnon. I have 25 points in 14 games. I'm the first player to do that since Wayne Gretzky. I'm the first player with a 14-game point streak to start the playoffs since 1979. I'm four games away from the record. I'm good. We're good. That's how the Avalanche feels. Next man up, it has been that all season. We're good. That brings us to Connor Timmons. You've touched on it a couple times. Let's get into that. Not the best-looking injury. He really got crushed, kind of got hit from behind, twisted You know his his lower body was facing one direction his upper body was smashed into the into the board so hopefully it's not a concussion we know he's been dealing with concussions for quite some time but what do you take out of that uh hit and the injury for connor timmons hopefully it's again general body soreness my favorite term for somebody who's hurt and hopefully he's able to get back into the game if not tomorrow on friday for game seven then hopefully in the next series after the avalanche hopefully there's a lot of hopefully's here win game seven um Hopefully, if he's out, the next guy that comes in can get the job done. Hopefully, if Landis God can't play, then Matt Calvert is able to play because he did take the pregame, the, the the morning skate before game six. So he seems to be the one getting closest to being ready in terms of either him or Donskoy. And, uh, you know, 
it's a, it's a tough injury, but I did I did find it a little bit weird that his two shifts in the third period, he started the third, uh, sorry, in the second period, Connor Timmons started the second period and played a minute and a half long shift. I'm guessing, I'm trying to remember how the beginning of the second went, but I think the Avalanche were hemmed in their zone. And then when he came out for his second shift, his second shift lasted two minutes and eight seconds. So his two shifts in the third were averaging a minute 45. I don't know exactly what happened there. I need to go back and watch the tape. But, you know, he obviously got hit. It didn't look too good. But once again, hopefully he's okay. I hate to rehash this argument, but this is where I, again, get annoyed by the size of the avalanche and the toughness of them. You know, this is where having those small speedy defenseman really starts to bite you in the ass especially when you're playing a team like Dallas who's big physical a team like LA a team like Anaheim this is where that methodology and strategy kind of kind of hurts you and that's why if you get Matt Calvert back for game seven you're good we're good like McKinnon said we're good I just hate to see the defensemen fall like flies like this you know you, you want to see some uh, some answers um, let's see Anything else we got to get into, you know, I think lastly, biggest thing is we talk about how the Avalanche, in order to take that next step forward this year, they got to win this game seven, right? This is the this is the moment that they, you know, kind of transcend what they've done in years past. But the good news is that they're not going to take a step backwards. If they were to lose game seven, and hopefully they don't, um, it's, not a, it's not a regression, right? And that's, I think, at least cup half full way of looking at it but dallas is in the same position they won they lost in game seven last year and yep um you know they were the two wild card teams they were the two wild card teams yeah and and for for dallas they blew a three to two series lead last year if they blow a three to one series lead they're gonna go home scratching their heads but you know what man the avalanche have played a lot of game sevens they haven't won one in a very long time but there were two, and we talked about this, there were two that they lost in 1999 and in 2000 to Dallas after having a 3-2 to two series lead both times, I think, where they could have won another one or two Stanley Cups in 99 and in 2000 before winning it in 2001. So if you're the Avalanche, you need to win this. You cannot let this happen again. For the for the history of the franchise, for someone like Joe Sackick, who remembers playing in those series 19 and 20 years ago, or 20 and 21 years ago, and for the sake of this team, you know, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backward. That's the way that I see it. So while, yes, it's not technically a regression, it is because you did not improve. And with the additions that this team made, with the with the amount of success they've had throughout the regular season and the expectations, they got to win this. Both teams looking to make that same step forward. That's what's going to make this such an amazing battle. And I know, but one of the teams has Corey Perry, so it's a lot <laughs> easier to root for the Avalanche. Come on, man. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's crazy to think about how star-studded that team really is. You'd think they would be a lot better, but they're just aging, you know, with guys like Corey Perry, Pavelski, Sagan, Ben, Radulov. You know, those, those are big names. This is not just a team to, to throw out, and I think we all kind of forgot about that just because, you know, they didn't really do too good. In terms of age, in terms of the, the age of their skill with a couple of young guys here and there, they remind me a lot of the Boston Bruins. The difference is the Bruins have won and have made it to the finals at least. Dallas has not been able to do that. They're still trying to figure it out with guys that are way too old. So there's only so many kicks of the can they're going to have with this team. Granted, they're all under contract for a really long time, but that's a problem that they can deal with, not the Avalanche. But they're 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 stuck in this rut where their older their older guys are aging really really quickly so if they don't win it this year if they don't win this series it's going to be really hard for them to just you know run it back and do this again and hope for something different so 
We're not a Dallas Stars podcast. We're not here to cheer for the Dallas Stars. We're not here to figure out what they're going to do in the offseason. We're here for the Avalanche. We're here for Nathan McKinnon. And like he said, we're good. I think the Avalanche are going to be good in Game 7. Let's wrap this baby up. Yeah, we're here for Game 7. And while Game 6 was the uh, Denver-Colorado Mega Bowl, Game 7 so much bigger than that could ever be. So we're leaving that at Game 7. No, we we're just going wanna... back to the reference that I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Great, let's go. I can't believe you haven't seen that movie, especially considering it's it's based in Flint, Michigan, which I assume is pretty close to where you're from. But it is, yeah. We wanted to give you a quick little podcast here. I'm sure you've been flooded with Avalanche content, so we're going to spare you the three stars of the week and fan highlight for this episode. But I wanted to go out simply highlighting that goal from Miko Rantanen to Nathan McKinnon. That's getting star number three, two, and one from us today because that was an unbelievable goal. I think everybody got a little horny from it. Other way around, it was it was. What Mc- did I say? I got it backwards. Yeah, it was McKinnon to Rantanen. It was, it was a horny God. play, but you, you 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 yeah, you said it the other way. I mean, they've been doing it all series live. It goes one to the other, so I I, I could understand why your your horniness is making you forget <laughs> who made the pass. But McKinnon made the pass. Rantanen had the goal. I'm going to give myself, however, before we wrap this up, the Twitter fan highlight of the day with a tweet that I tweeted late last night. Kel McCarr has played, and I know I just got on his back for injuring the captain and letting in a damn goal ruining Pavel Francouz's career. <sighs> Freaking kid. But on a serious note, <laughs> Kale McCarr has played 81 games since joining the Avalanche. That's regular season plus playoffs. Obviously, a full regular season is 82 games. In his 81 games, Kale McCarr has 17 goals and 54 assists. He has seven game-winning goals. He has 25 power play points. He has 71 points. And game 82 happens Friday. So even if Kale McCarr is held off of the score sheet in game number 82, game number seven on Friday... He will have scored 71 points in his first 82 NHL games at the ages of 20 and 21. This is some Bobby Orr shit. We have a good one on our hands. And that's all while I suspect he's not even at 100%. Imagine what this kid can do after he gets a nice little off-season of rest, healing, and you know, back yep. to being 100% and ready to go for an actual full season. So, yeah, let's enjoy Game 7. Again, let's not let it get too much to our hearts and make sure that we're all breathing by the end of this game but it's going to be fun let's enjoy it while we can because you know think about how many teams are out of the playoffs watching this wishing they could be in a game seven in the second round so fingers crossed i'm hoping for the best throw some money on DraftKings and uh, make sure to put in our promo code mhs before we get out of here era if you want to throw anything else out that's all i'm looking forward to the avalanche taking game seven hopefully starting the next series i suspect either sunday or monday the latest uh, on that note, next time we pod, hopefully I'll have an update of me getting back, getting some revenge back on JJ and beating him in tennis on Saturday. We'll get into that then. But other than that, I'm good to go. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys on Twitter. Hockey's for everyone. We out you.